0: Hello, Christopher McMichael here coming to you again from Engrafted Word Church in Cookville, Tennessee. Merry Christmas, season's greetings, happy holiday, and whatever you want to say at this time of year, I say praise God for His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Christmas. I love celebrating it with my family, with my church family. Uh, we, we Hopefully, you're enjoying this lesson we've taught so far. We're entering into our second lesson now on the Christmas holidays. We're calling this the Origin of Christmas Traditions and we're tying it back to the church but also giving you kind of a history lesson as to why we do the things we do as American Christians. It might be helpful to understand Christians around the world do not celebrate Christmas the way we do, not at all. For an American, Christmas is is probably, without a doubt, the biggest holiday of the year. Uh, We don't want to miss Christmas Day. We don't want to have to work. Nobody wants to work on Christmas Day. In fact, our culture even says, oh, you won't be home for Christmas, or you've got to go in. Oh, And and it's a big deal when you can't be home for Christmas to see your kids unwrap presents. Overseas, uh, and I can answer for Africa because I've been there several times and have celebrated holidays over there, Overseas in Africa, they don't make a big deal out of Christmas at all. In fact, a couple years ago, we were in Nigeria at Easter, the celebration of the resurrected Savior. And the Nigerian church and, and family we were with, they were shocked. They could not imagine. They were so honored that we would miss Easter at home in America, Easter at home with our family, Easter at home with our church, to be with them in Nigeria for Easter, to celebrate the resurrected Savior. And it just it demonstrated to me a difference of culture that they over there, they put a greater emphasis on the resurrected Savior. And we over here, we put a greater emphasis on the birth of a baby. And as we said last week, there's all the power of the gospel in the resurrection. There is none of the power of the gospel In the birth. That doesn't mean we stop celebrating Jesus. I just want to bring this back to the Bible. We pointed out last week that the New Testament doesn't give us a specific date. When Jesus was born, the first century believers, they didn't put any kind of date. They didn't even recognize the birth of Jesus. It wasn't important to them. They honored the resurrection of Jesus, which the Bible says was on the first day of the week, being Sunday. And even John the Revelator in Revelation chapter one, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, not the Sabbath, but on the Lord's day, which we understand to be Sunday. So even John the Revelator was honoring the resurrection on Sunday, spending time with his savior while he was in prison on the Isle of Patmos. We as Americans, we make things different and we think because we're Americans, everybody else does it the way we do it and that's just not the case. So we're answering some questions and we're doing a historical study on what is the history of Christmas? How do we get the date? What is the origin of some of these traditions that we hold true to us? In this lesson, I wanna look specifically at Saint Nick or what we would call Santa Claus. If you're an American, even if you're not an American, if you've just been in country three days, you know about Santa Claus already and I want to give you a fascinating history on the 1700 years of St. Nicholas because the St. Nick that we have today, the big fat guy with the big beard and the reindeer who gives gifts to all the children, good and switches and coal and rocks to the bad kids, that's not the original St. Nicholas. We're going to go through this and look at how St. Nicholas evolved into some kind of amalgamation of commercialism, and we're even going to see how Coca-Cola Company almost 100 years ago, influenced this modern American phenomena called Santa Claus. Let's start with Nicholas. Nicholas uh, was a Christian. He was a Christian bishop, a man of God who lived in the 3rd century, specifically 270 A.D. He became bishop of the church at Myra there in Asia Minor. And Nicholas was a tremendous man of God. Church history lets us know he even worked some signs and wonders like they did in the book of Acts. Nicholas, this, this, who, he was later sainted by the Catholics. We know if you read the New Testament that if you're born again, you're a saint. You don't have to work miracles and drink some holy water and do something awesome before you're dead to be sainted. The Bible says if you serve God, you're a saint. If you're born again, you're a saint. But the Catholics nonetheless took him some hundred years later and sainted him. But Nicholas was this man of God. He was a bishop or a pastor over a church at Myra. And the most interesting uh thing he had to contribute to the kingdom of God that we know of was that he was there at what's called the Nicene Convention in 325 AD. Now the Nicene Convention, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. They developed what's called the Nicene Creed that were major tenets of Christianity that that hold true to this day. But the Nicene Convention helped to canonize or that is to put together our New Testament. It was at this Nicene Convention in the fourth century 325 AD to be specific, that these bishops and pastors and apostles sat down and they looked at all these letters written by Paul, James, John, uh, uh, epistles written by pseudo-apostles that were later thrown out. And they said, these are definitely God-inspired, God-breathed, and these are not. At that convention that any theologian can tell you about, that, that most seminary student has to study, Nicholas was one of the senior saints there. He's one of the senior bishops there and he helped to derive our New Testament from all these epistles that had been written and that had been circulated, circulated for about 300 years. That's an awesome contribution. He later, he went on and he died in, on December 6th in 345 A.D. Well, after his death and his tremendous contributions, uh, Christianity went a little goofy, as it often does when it doesn't stick with the Bible, and they began to develop all sorts of stories of his miracle working ability, and really they just made up some stuff. And one of the famous stories is that uh, he was uh, reputed to have uh, rescued three damsels, three daughters, whose father, could not marry them off. And the father needed the dowry that they should have received by being married off. Maybe they were ugly, maybe they were. We don't know why they couldn't get married. It's a made up story anyway, but this is just one of the made up stories. And because he did not have the dowry from them, he was going to be forced to sell them into prostitution or some kind of unsavory business. And Nicholas heard of this, according to this uh, goofy story. And it is reported from different, there's different versions of this story, that he would throw a purse of gold coins in the window, one for each of the girls. One story says as they came of age, one story says all at once. And one story says that he happened to throw one in the window and it landed in her sock. So we have St. Nick throwing goodies and it lands in people's socks. So you can see where this is going. And this is just about the fourth or fifth century. So this is like 1600 years ago. Well, that was one of the ones and he was, he kind of became the saint of doing good and giving gifts. He became the saint in the eyes of the Catholic, uh, the saint of children. So he ministered a lot to children. You can already kind of see flavors of what is our modern day Santa Claus. And I'd encourage you and remind you, we're teaching on the origin of Santa Claus here. So listen to these different stories of history and you can see how they're kind of feeding in to this fat jolly fellow who rides in a sleigh with a whole bunch of reindeer. Uh, This began the tradition of giving gifts. Uh, In about the year 1000 A.D., a man named Vladimir Duke of Russia uh, visits Constantinople, which is the, uh, was the head of the Roman Empire. It's modern-day Istanbul there in Asia Minor. Constantine, the emperor, had made Christianity uh, the, the major religion of the Roman Empire. Vladimir, Duke of Russia, visits Constantinople and becomes acquainted with all these different saints the Catholic Church is making up or sainting. And he returns to Russia with Nicholas as his patron saint. He falls in love with this story of St. Nick, who now has been dead 700 or so years. And he says, ah, he will be the patron saint of my nation. Of course, it wasn't Russia as we know it, but that region. And uh, as he returns to Russia with uh, St. Saint Nicholas, St. Saint Nick becomes associated or St. Nicholas becomes associated with Arctic landscape. Before that, he was Mediterranean. He was Turkish. He was Italian looking. Now he gets carried over there and the Russians do their number on him and he begins to be associated. This Saint Nicholas who was a good holy man of God and a pastor and a church planter and helped to devise our New Testament. 700 years go by, and now we're making stuff up. It's like he's a legend that just keeps growing. The Russians or the Russian people began to uh, uh, acquaint him or equate him with Arctic landscape, and they may, and historians are skeptical or they're not, they're not sure on this, so we'll add the may. They may have begun to morph him with the winter folk spirit. Now, Russians were pagans too back in the day. A lot of them still are. There is a strong church in Russia, but they worship pagans and demon spirits, to, but there was a winter folk spirit called Father Frost, and he was prevalent in these times and still to this day in folklore. A lot of historians believe that St. Nicholas's image began to morph with Father Frost for whatever reason we don't know, and here's what you can learn about Father Frost. Father Frost had a long white beard, he dressed in animal skins, and he drove a sleigh pulled by reindeer. Does that sound familiar to you? Father Frost, the 1,000, at least 1,000-plus-year-old Russian folk demon spirit (laughs) who was over the Arctic lands, he had a long white beard, he dressed in animal skins, and he drove a sleigh pulled by reindeer. Sounds familiar. He is still a popular saint. St. Nicholas is still a very popular saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church. That kind of sprung off at that point. When you hear the terms Eastern Orthodox, think of Russian church, the Russian church. About the year 1400, St. Nicholas was also adopted northwestward from Turkey and Rome into northern Europe, primarily Holland. All right? So you see the popularity of this saint. You'd have to have a Catholic mindset to understand how some Catholics worship saints and pray to them rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see how with paganism and and superstition and uh, just a bunch of woo-woo goofiness, these saints begin to be more popular than even Jesus Christ himself. And so the story of St. Nicholas, now 1,100 years in the making, begins to migrate northward, northwestward, from Turkey and Rome towards uh, the Holland area, Dutch, to, towards the uh, British Isles. There, the Dutch emphasized St. Nicholas as a gift giver. He already had that reputation based on the story of the dowries and th- the three purses of gold coins. And I trust you're following all this. Uh, there, because the, 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 uh, the Dutch and the British were influenced by Norse religion and mythology, they began to kind of add their own flavor to St. Nicholas and they begin to mix him with the Norse god named Odin. Now, Odin is the father in Norse mythology or the Norse pagan religion. He's the father of Thor. Maybe you've seen the recent Marvel movie Thor or you're familiar with uh, Marvel comic books. They took Norse religion. uh, By Norse, we mean the Vikings, the Viking religions, and they just made it into a comic book character uh, because of the superpowers and all that, and it plays out in comic books for 50 years. Odin was Thor's father Thor is by the way where we get the word Thursday Odin was his father and these uh, these pagan gods were kind of swapped like playing cards I'll take a Saint Nick I'll give you an Odin can I trade you a Thor for Saint Pete sure and they just began to mix their religions together because they're pagans it's what pagans do that's, Christians can become pagans very quickly if you don't stay with the Bible. I recently read about a woman who considered herself a Christian Native American. And what she meant by that was, was she believed in Jesus, but she believed in worshiping trees and animals like the Native Americans did. That's a pagan. Some folk, I, I knew a man one time, he called himself a Christian Buddhist. He decided to mix Christianity with Buddhism. That equals paganism because Jesus Christ is very exclusive and he will have no other gods around him. He is the only God. There be no other gods but the Lord Jesus Christ. So these North Europeans, and remember, this is just 1400 A.D., so this is still very pagan, very backwoods, very barbaric. You had the Germanic tribes and the Celtic tribes. They began to take St. Nicholas, who helped write our New Testament. But now, 1,100 years later, his, his, his reputation and his character is evolving, and they mix him with Odin, the Norse god. Now, here's the thing about Odin. He wore a full white beard. He had a magical cloak and he dispensed gifts to children. You see this common theme developing. Odin also rode a flying horse <laughs> and he would fly through the heavens each autumn and he would dispense gifts to children. In this Dutch culture, as they uh, they evolved Odin from even the Norse, uh, children would place shoes and hay at fireplaces on the night that Odin Uh, flew across the sky. And they would place shoes so he could put gifts in their shoes and they would put hay out for his magical flying horse. I think we're really beginning to see the origins of Santa Claus. Now the other thing you need to keep in mind is that the Dutch speak Dutch. The country is called Holland or the Netherlands, but the language they speak is Dutch. And so the Dutch pronounce uh, Saint Nicholas as Sinterklaas and Sinterklaas in the Dutch pronunciation is was later to develop into Santa Claus. Sinterklaas, Santa Claus, that's why even today in American history, Saint Nick is also known as Kris Kringle or Santa Claus. They're all the same thing, Father Frost, Father Winter, and they're all pagan derived. What does this mean for you as a Christian? Well, let me throw it out there before we go any further. We're supposed to emphasize Jesus Christ's birth as the ultimate gift to mankind at Christmas. We don't want some big, fat, old man who has his origins in pagan mythology to come and push our Savior out of the limelight. If you put Santa Claus over Jesus Christ, you might classify as a pagan. If you give Jesus Christ less credence, less room, Really, if you emphasize Santa at all over Jesus Christ and your kids know more about Santa than they do Jesus Christ, you may not be a Christian. You may actually qualify for the title pagan because pagans made up Santa Claus and somehow managed to sell us Christians on it. And uh, it has never gone well for us since. Amen. I hope you like that. We're going to move on now with this lesson we've written. Santa Claus was made the saint of the city of New York in 1773. So we jumped 300 years. For 300 years in Europe, this image of Santa Claus or Santa Claus began to grow and take root in culture and began to grow and take root in culture, much as we've seen Halloween take root, Uh, much as we've seen other weird religions in America take root, Kwanzaa and other stuff that just gets made up and then it's supposed to take root. For 300 years it took root and then uh, the colonialists began to come over to America to colonize for freedom of religion and they were affected by uh, what is actually called in history as the cult of St. Nicholas. This thing actually took on the term of a cult because people began to worship St. Nick and the cult of St. Nicholas affected Europe drastically. And so by 1773, Santa Claus... He was not known then as he's known now, but that's the English pronunciation of the Dutch Claus. He was actually made the patron saint of New York City three years before the American Revolution. This shows the Catholic immigrant influence on the Americas. By 1804, the Dutch tradition of Saint Nick being a gift giver was very well established. This is all just made up tradition in hokey uh, culture. In 1809, so now we're talking 200 years ago, 203 years ago, to be specific, novelist Washington Irving. If you've ever heard of him, it's because he wrote Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. He's a very well-known American author, one of the the first few. Him and um, James Fenimore Cooper wrote some of the greatest American novels that also had popularity over in Europe. Washington Irving wrote a satire. That means he was making fun of Dutch culture in the Americas. And, uh, and its influence on New York City. And he did it in a unique way, but his, his uh, book was called... Uh, oh, that's, that slips my mind. He wrote this book called The Knickerbocker Chronicles or The Knickerbocker uh, History. And uh, Knickerbocker refers to uh, the Dutch. And it was a satire making fun of the Dutch influence, the Dutch culture influencing the Americas at that time. Much like someone might... Um, Raciously make write a book making fun of the Hispanic influence on America or perhaps the African influence on America. He was doing it making fun of the Dutch and this book contained a lot of references to Santa Claus. And uh, complete in his book were many references to a white bearded, flying horse riding Saint Nick called by his Dutch name, Santa Claus. And this book was a huge success. This only further embedded the cult of Saint Nick or the story of Santa Claus into American culture. That's 1809. In 1822, a man wrote a poem, a man named Dr. Clement Moore, who was a Union seminary professor. He had read Irving's book. And he liked the book. It was funny. It was popular. It was pop culture at the time, 200-year-old pop culture. And he was inspired by all these uh, references to Santa Claus and the flying horse and the white beard and this jolly old fellow. And so Dr. Clement Moore wrote a poem, and he published it in 1822. You've probably heard his poem. It starts off like this. "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." That was written in 1822 based on a book making fun of Dutch culture and a cult called St. Nicholas that the Dutch had made up combining pagan worship from the Norse mythology of Odin with a bunch of stuff coming out of pagan Russia. So a guy writes a playful poem in 1822. We still read the poem. It was the night before Christmas. It's all about Kris Kringle and Santa Claus. and, And he coins the terms on Dasher, on Donner, on Blitzen. The interesting thing is Donder and Blitzen, those are Dutch words for thunder and lightning. So he's kind of giving a nod at the Dutch influence of Santa Claus. Because this poem is so popular, the artwork begins to abound. People begin to draw pictures in magazines and newspapers of what this Santa Claus looks like based on Dr. Clement Moore's poem. Between 1862 and 1886, so 40 years later, Thomas Nast, a very famous cartoonist, drew over 2,200 images of Santa for the popular magazine Harper's Weekly. So the image of Santa Claus, who came from the Dutch, who came from the cult of St. Nick, who came from the the pagan god Odin, who came from the pagan uh, folk spirit Father Frost, is drawn for a women's magazine, Harper's Weekly, a, a, a weekly magazine for the American people. And Nast, he evolved this image of Santa Claus even further. Nast, through his drawings and all the different scenarios he drew Santa, he gave him a home at the North Pole and he gave him a workshop full of elves and a list of good and bad children. But he didn't have a red outfit yet. So where does the red outfit come from? (laughs) In 1931, so now we fast forward another 50 years, this thing is just part of American culture now. Uh, America's growing and de- I- I- developing. Uh, Harper's is defining culture because it's a magazine. Just like the, the trashy Us Weekly, People Magazine, Inquire, that defines our culture right now. If you, you're a Christian and you're reading it, you should really stop because all it is is smut, gossip, and slander. And the Bible says God hates those things. So you should probably put down Us Weekly and Cosmo and all that. Maybe pick up your Bible for a change. You should spend more time in the Bible than you do those smutty magazines just just as a side note since we want to kind of glorify Jesus here in 1931 Coca-Cola hired a Swedish artist to create a Coke drinking Santa you know the picture well it's very iconic it's almost 100 years old now the swede modeled his santa after a cheerful chubby faced friend of his at this point santa gets fat and Coca-Cola, since they're paying the artist, they insisted that Santa's fur-trimmed coat from Father Frost, if you remember, he, he wore fur skin. His, they insisted that his fur-trimmed suit be bright, Coca-Cola red. So Coca-Cola made Santa dress in red. Bet you didn't know that. The famous song just a few years later, actually just three years later, was written and first sung on the radio in 1934, the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is Coming to Town, 1934. All of this based on a man who was a holy man of God named Saint Nick of Turkey, who was there at the Nicene Convention, who helped get you your New Testament his namesake was hijacked and robbed through pagan idolatry, added to, amalgamated, twisted turn, add a little bit of pagan worship from Russia, add a little bit of demon worship, god, false god worship from the Norse mythology, wrap it all together, mix it all, spit it up through American culture, add some Coca-Cola, and you got Santa Claus, the most, the most popular person come Christmas time. I would encourage you with all of my heart, I'm sure you, you've learned something there, Do not teach your children that Santa Claus is real because that is a lie. The Bible teaches us that when you lie to somebody, it's only because you hate them. I just gave you 1700 years of history of Saint Nicholas from the true man of God, a pastor of a church of Myra in Turkey to the amalgamation of marketing and commercialization that has stripped the limelight and the glory away from Jesus Christ at this awesome season called Christmas. Uh, It would be awesome if Christians in America would stand up and say, we're going to boycott Santa because he's not real. Oh, preacher, that's too strict. Uh, Is lying to your kids acceptable? Do you want your kids to lie to you? Here's the scary thing about lying to your kids about the reality of Santa because he's not real. In fact, I'm going to teach my children to tell all their friends Santa's not real. (laughs) Because as Christians, we stand for the truth, not made up fairy tales. The problem with teaching your kids that Santa is real is that you're telling them that at this time of year, there's an omnipotent, omnipowerful, uh, omnipresent man who sits in the north and he watches you and he knows if you're good and he knows if you're bad. And if you're good, he'll come and give you rewards. But if you're bad, he'll come and give you bad things. That's Santa Claus. When they get to be about 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, they're going to realize you've been lying to them about Santa. But the whole time as a Christian, you've been teaching them that there's this omnipotent, omnipresent God named Jesus Christ who watches you at all times. And he knows when you're good. And he knows when you're bad. And he rewards those that diligently seek him. But he punishes those that rebel against him. And their kid may just happen to put two and two together and say, funny math now, if mom and dad were lying to me about Santa, maybe they're lying to me about Jesus. And you might end up making a heathen pig, an atheist, out of your kid over something as dumb as a fat guy who's going to fit down chimneys. That's ridiculous. I would exhort you with everything that's in me. Keep Jesus Christ in the center of Christmas. Let him have all glory, honor, power, and dominion. This is his birthday we're celebrating. If we're going to celebrate it, let's make it about him, not some fat guy with a bunch of elves making up stuff. Do not teach your children Santa is real. That makes you a liar. I would encourage you. America is going downhill because the church is weak. The church is weak because we don't promote the truth. We promote lies. And if we're going to make this nation great again, if we're going to make the church strong again, we've got to bring Jesus back in and kick everything else out. Do not teach your children Santa is real. Santa is not the reason for Christmas. Jesus Christ, God's gift to man, is the reason for Christmas. Pastor Chris McMichael here signing off. I love you. Merry Christmas to you. Be blessed. Don't forget to be a doer of God's Word this Christmas season. We'll see you next week in Jesus' name.